listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt K, and with me is Rye the Movie Guy, and with us is KP. Hello, how are you boys tonight? Wonderful. This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, two reviews, The Color Purple and Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, and The Lost Kingdom, I guess is the actual title. Who cares? (laughs) Well, we're going to get to it. And helping us with with those reviews and covering our top five favorite scenes of 2023 is Mark Dusick. Yes, Mark Dusick is back. One of the most prolific film critics, I'd say, in the world. Certainly in Chicago, definitely the nation, maybe the world. It it is hard to book Mark on a podcast because he's usually watching a movie. So it's difficult to, to get him to actually clear two hours to do a podcast, you know? Yeah, and we're not joking. We'll talk about Mark's stats when when he enters. Absolutely. Plus, I guess there's going to be trivia this week, Matt? Yeah, I flipped the script um, and wrote some trivia. You will be taking Mark on in 2023 movie trivia. Oh, my God. I love it. Now, no, I'm nothing going better to... than crushing Mark. Put in the caveat that these are not necessarily questions about films that came out in 2023, but they do relate somehow. Interesting. Wow, I love when Matt puts on his thinking cap and comes up with some kind of creative trivia game. Yep. So last week on the show, we did our top 10 films of the year, and we said when we went to the fish tank that KP was in the fish tank. And believe it or not, Matt, we heard from quite a few jawheads. Uh, One of them, my cousin Andrew, uh, simply texted me right away, KP, did I miss something? What's going on over there in Cinema Jaw Studios? Uh, Neil Outen uh, Bartlett also wrote in talking about uh, us referring to KP. And I said, well, the episode with Brian was... It's jam-packed. How long was the runtime on that thing? It was two hours, hours, 50 minutes, two hours. It's a long podcast. Just over two. So I said, well... When we have a little bit more time so that we don't brush over the topic, we'll let it breathe. And we'll do it this week. And I'll let Phil, formerly Phil, now KP, explain. KP, the mic yeah, is yours. I, thank you so much. It's an honor. Um, I'm just in a, a it's so it's cliche to say I'm in a transitionary period of my life, uh, but that's what it is. Uh, I'm in the process of like one KP is a much more gender neutral name, so I prefer it that way. We're also going to be using they she pronouns as we're going. Uh, KP is short for Kira Phyllis. Phil is still fine, uh, but it's just not preferred. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, other than that, like I'm still me. Nothing changes. Exactly. Exactly. Just what you hear change. Like there is changes. Actually, there's a lot changed. It's like a new. It's a new name, man. You know, I like it. KP. It's also still Emma Stone month. Now that we've tackled the KP, let's tackle the Emma Stone fact. You know what? And we should mention we're on Zoom this week, which has not happened in a long time. This is which true. is exactly why I am so remiss. I cannot push my button. I where where our audio clips are gone right now. Yes, our live soundboard is not at my fingertips, and it breaks my heart because, like, when better to use our Emma Stone clip than when we say we're tackling her? Absolutely, that's fine. We're not. We're not tackling or physically harming anybody because we are celebrating Emma Stone uh, <clears throat> and her being. 
one of only eight actresses to have won an Academy Award for a performance in a musical, uh, which honestly, that sounds kind of low to me, but... The others, the other seven in chronological order, Rita Moreno, Julie Andrews, Barbara Streisand, Liza Minnelli, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Jennifer Hudson, and Anne Hathaway. And like, when I think about it, it's like, oh yeah, that is kind of all the big ones. Those are some heavy hitters. <laughs> I agree. She's in good company. No doubt. Good fact. That, I'm sad to say this is our last week celebrating Emma Stone, but maybe we'll get back to her. Yeah, she'll come around again. All right, let's get this Every show. Every December, ro- 2024, Emma Stone Month. Show into high gear here with our guest, Mark Dusick, film critic, has watched over, as, as, as far as my math is c- concerned, over 540 movies this year. We love to celebrate the year in film with Mark. Mark, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Thanks for having me back. I had the mute button. I haven't been on Zoom in a while, too. I'm sorry about the sound effects. Also, you're welcome for not having the sound effects, depending on which side you're on on this debate that I can see unfolding in front of me. Um, yeah, it's great to be back. That's all I can say right now. Let's, yeah, I don't know where we're going first. I do so, know where we're going. Yes, but, uh, you know, I, I opened it up last week when we had uh, Brian Tallarico on. I asked about the state of film of 2023, and since this is sort of a recap uh, episode and celebrating the year. Uh, let's go with that. What did you think of the year overall? And did you feel it was sort of a, a, a turning point uh, getting away from sort of the big, uh, let's say, comic book movies and franchise into a bit more originality? I thought you were going to talk about the real world stuff happening that, yeah, we're getting over that at least too. But we're, but yeah, I think um, Aquaman numbers, early numbers, I know we're going to talk about it later, came out today and they're not looking good. And I don't know what's going to happen with comic book movies. It seems potentially going the way of the Western. It's just one of those fads that lasted for a while and we're going to be moving on. And that's okay because this year we had Barbie and Oppenheimer one weekend just dominate the box office in a way that we haven't seen since the pandemic. So that was refreshing and it was encouraging to see people going out to the theater and seeing movies. I think studios are getting better understanding the importance of the movie theater, even if certain streamers are kind of selection to the idea that their platform is the only way it should go. I think that a lot of them, um, Amazon has MGM now, so they're getting films out into the actual physical locations more. Um, Apple TV with Killers of the Flower Moon had, you know, a pretty good run with that. So I'm hoping we'll see more of that and i don't know it's it's just it's just good to see people going back to the movies and realizing that yeah the streamers are good vod is good but you know go see the movie in the theater if you can at first and uh, you know those studios you can make money that way and hold on to the 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 streaming release the digital uh, on-demand release till later anyway it's interesting. It's interesting to see all of this in flux right now. I don't know where it's going to land, but it's been it's been a wild last couple of months, really, to just see everybody everybody recovering and trying to figure out what's going on with all of this. Video stores are coming back, and I'm talking about VHS. That's, oh, please, please, <laughs> it's coming back. Please bring those back. I mean, it's never going to be where it was, right? But we're going to see, like, you could drive around and find a record store here in Chicago fairly easily, full of vinyl. Same thing. I think we're going to see that 
return. Like even when we did an episode over at the Alamo Draft House, they have VHS rentals. It's not unheard of. It's it, it's it's nice to see things kind of the pendulum coming around. You know, interesting. It is. So I mentioned Mark five hundred and forty plus movies. Do I have that correct? Uh, yeah, I just logged on to Letterbox and looked at my uh, my yeah. But <laughs> I'm done. No, I'm not done. I'm sorry, I lied. I have one or two left for the year just before I run my top ten list. Um, <laughs> just to make left. sure. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> just one or two that's it um but you know some stuff is technically has been released in 2023 but it's not getting like a wider release until next year but i just want to make sure nothing i'm missing out on anything that's gonna end up on my top 10 list before the year's out so yeah it'll end it'll end below 550. mark with that with that many movies under your belt in a single calendar year have you ever watched something and regretted it I mean, said like, oh, my God, what a waste of time. I mean, you must mm-hmm. see some really crappy movies. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to name names officially. Um, but, yeah, I've the ones that I've skipped reviewing were typically the ones that I've watched it and then said, I have nothing to say to this. Anything I could say about it would just be unnecessarily mean to a movie that no one is going to see, that no one knows where it's at, that no one is going to see realize it exists and so i just am like no that's okay i don't need to talk about um a serial killer thriller with um sean astin in it don't need to talk about that one whoa i missed the yeah, serial killer thriller with sean astin <laughs> jeez we gotta Wait, talk about now, this after and the show. now i'm wondering was it sean astin or did i imagine that because it's been so long um but yeah there's there have been a couple um that i just i just watched it and it just didn't make any sense to me to to write about it and so i logged it on letterboxd added a rating for anyone who was curious about it and just called it a day on those but (laughs) there's um, some yeah there's some because i follow mark on letterboxd and i'll i'll come across something that he's logged on and i love to go into the movie and see how many other people have actually logged the movie on letterboxd and mark is sometimes in there with like three other people two other users there may be somewhere you're the first (laughs) The star, the director, yeah, and Mark weird. Dusick. Yeah. It happens. It's weird. It's the weirdest funny. ones are the ones that aren't even on Letterboxd yet. And so <laughs> I have to run over to the movie database, which is, you know, their version of the Internet movie database where they pull everything from and actually add all the information the distributor didn't add yet. Oh, my god. That's goodness. happened a couple of times. Boy. So- we got feedback off of the last episode, uh, came to us uh, via Twitter, and this ties into a question I wanted to ask Mark. Uh, they wrote in and said, hey, awesome podcast. I got a follow-up question for you and the Cinema Jaw crew. What's your favorite non-2023 film of the year? Meaning, like, first time you watched a movie that didn't come out necessarily in this year. And he goes on to say that it's both uh, Stalker and Cries and Whispers were his favorite watches that didn't come out in this year. My question to Mark is, do you watch anything? Do you have time to watch anything that didn't come out in 2023? If you're seeing that many new titles. Yeah, I said no. And the, I, I try to, and, and I don't log those on Letterboxd. And so I couldn't tell you what I watched first time around this year. Um, I know there've been a couple I'm hoping that like this week is going to be pretty dead. I don't think anything comes out on the 29th, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to be, in addition to playing video games, I'm going to be watching some movies for enjoyment and 
Um, yeah, I, I wish I could answer that question, but I can't think of anything that I watched for the first time, but I know I did fit in a few, um, probably more than a few. I could say probably a few dozen for the course of the, over the course of the year that weren't, you know, coming out this year. Sure. Um, I, I always feel like I'm playing catch up. Like when we say we celebrate somebody on the podcast, it's like, oh, this gives me an excuse to watch, you know, said movie. Um, I actually bought Wild at Heart, the Nick Cage uh, film. I had never seen that movie, and I forget. I finally, it wasn't streaming anywhere, so I got it on, on Blu-ray, and uh, I have not watched it yet, but I plan to before the end of the year because I've got some time on my hands, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch up on some movies. So so good. Wild at Heart is really good. That's one of my top lynches, I think. Nice, um, nice. Yeah. yeah so you, one. you uh, heard we're celebrating Emma Stone, uh, throwing you a softball here. What is your favorite Emma Stone movie? And it's okay to say poor things because I'm a huge fan, Mark. Um, yeah, I mean, as of right now, I think Poor Things might be her best film and might be her best performance. Although I really love her in The Favorite and I thought she was fantastic in La La Land. She's fantastic in a lot of things. Um, but Poor Things is... She's doing... Complete, something completely different. She's great at comedy in terms of just, you know, all of the, the all the jokes, all the slapstick and everything. And she gets to channel all of that into this fantastic role. This is like a once in a lifetime character, I think, that anybody could get to play. Um, she just puts everything into it. So I think four things might be at the top for both film and performance from her, from where I'm sitting right now. I was a huge fan, obviously, my number two film of the year. So I'm, I'm right with you on this one, Mark. Uh, for the jawheads that want to check out all of these reviews that you're writing, because there are a lot, where should we send them online, Mark? Uh, MarkReviewsMovies.com. I hope that's easy enough to remember. Um, I'm at MarkReviews on X, formerly <laughs> Twitter. I hate saying it, but I'm on there. Um, I'm on Letterboxd at... Mark Dusick, just my name, D-U-J-S-I-K is how you spell it. Um, if you want to hear me talk weekly, in addition to all the written reviews, um, the Roger and Me podcast, which I co-host with the host, Brett Arnold, every week we're covering um, between eight and more movies every week that Brett Damn. gets to watch too. And yeah, I know. Um, so this will be just a heads up. This will be the third time that I'm reviewing both the color purple and oh man. So I hope I have some new things to say. We'll Let's find, find out. out. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> Impressive. All right. Well, speaking of the color purple, the novel, the color purple was published in 1982 by Alice Walker. It was turned into a movie by Steven Spielberg in 1985. And then in 2005, it was turned into a Broadway musical where it ran from 05 to 08. This latest film, directed by Blitz Bazawule, is an adaptation of the Broadway musical. We hit the theater to see if the jump from the stage to the screen was the right move. Oh, Miss Seelick! You must ain't got no kinfolk around these parts. All I had was my sister. <laughs> she was the only one ever loved me. Put it on. This ain't me. Hush. We need to look like we belong. 
Let's see the smile and color. <gasps> Sweet and loving God. The plot has stayed the same. Torn apart from her sister and her children, Celie faces many hardships in life, including an abusive husband. With support from a sultry singer named Shug, Shug Avery, as well as her stepdaughter, she ultimately finds extraordinary strength in the unbreakable bonds of a new kind of sisterhood. This adaptation is filled to the brim with powerful musical numbers and fine performances. I have to be honest here, I have not read the novel, nor have I seen the 1985 film. This is one of my Spielberg blind spots. Seeing as this is my first color purple, I was impressed. The cast is fantastic, led by Fantasia, of all people, from American Idol fame, who plays Celia, and Coleman Domingo, who plays evil Mr. Boy, is he good here. My screening was packed with people who knew the musical numbers and were singing and applauding throughout, which made it rather exciting. I like how the musical numbers were staged inside the real world that these people inhabit. That felt very natural. The ending moved me quite a bit. Mark, did you find the color purple as enjoyable as I did? I did not. Um, I have not read the Walker novel, but I have seen the Spielberg film. And I don't think the musical is a good idea. I don't think turning this material into a musical is the best idea. It is so jarring to watch this woman, this young, this teenage girl who becomes a woman, be caught up in this cycle of abuse, starting with her father to this man that she's essentially given away as chattel to to be married to and be abused physically and sexually by both of these men have children taken away from her and then right in the middle of that you get this very upbeat toe tapping song and it <laughs> is so jarring it doesn't make any sense to me um it's i'm gonna be interested to see when you get around to the, the spielberg film because i know brett co-host on the show I talked about had not seen it until after seeing the musical too and he was confounded <laughs> by how many changes and how many omissions were made just from the uh, first movie adaptation because I don't see the story here I don't think the story is kept intact by having all these musical numbers either you don't feel the progression of the character although I think that Fantasia is quite good at filling in the gaps that the screenplay has for her. She's really good at showing that evolution of that character. But the movie itself isn't it doesn't it doesn't have it there. And so it doesn't feel earned. It's trying to tell you how this is all going to end at the start by having these upbeat numbers. And so by the end you're like, okay, well we got through all of that and I guess it's all okay. I yeah, I I'm I'm really torn on this one just because I think the cast is quite good for the most part. Um, I found some of the songs catchy, but I'm just sitting there the entire time thinking, don't really care that the music is catchy and I don't care that the cast is really good at selling it because it's just a bad idea at four. That's <laughs> that's where I'm at with it. Well, it seems obviously that it must have been quite popular uh, to have a good run and then to be, you know, even in the conversation for picking up a Broadway musical and turning it into uh, a movie, it has to have its fan base. So uh, there's got to be people out there that are, you know, of, of different opinion here and say, well, no, I see why the music uh, works in, in, in to some degree here. You're right. In some parts, it is a little bit uh, jarring that it's such an upbeat song inside this rather 
dark tale that we're, we're seeing. So, uh, but again, probably cause I hadn't seen the, the Spielberg, uh, take on it. I was just along for the ride thinking this is, this is the tone of the movie that it should have because this is my first time seeing it, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because Spielberg, especially around this point in his career gets accused of toning down material and sentimentalizing material. And that's true of the, the, the color purple. There are, you can, even without having read the novel, you can see where things are kind of, you know, made a little easier for the audience. But man, I mean, compared to this, um, neutered, uh, sentimentalized, those aren't even getting at, I think, what this musical is doing to the material. Um, it's, it's, it's just so odd to me. It's just such an odd choice. And you're right. Obviously, the, the musical has some fans because um, a couple of Fantasia and Danielle Brooks, I believe. Yeah, Danielle Brooks were both from the Broadway revival about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the musical has already had its its revival right. period. It's already gone through that. So it has its audience. It has its fans. I have been going to the theater a couple of times where some reviews are showing. And those are books. They're full. All those sneak previews of the movie mm-hmm. are full. This this is going to do pretty well for a musical at Christmas time. It's hard to tell what that means, but yeah, I I I, I was not sold on it. I, I, I was mean, not it, sold on it as a concept. I, I I mean, at the screening that I was in, I definitely felt like I was the one that didn't know the material because, like I said, there were definitely some women uh, right behind me that I could hear them singing along to some of the songs like, oh, okay, this has a built-in audience that I'm not uh, familiar with. I had not seen the musical on, on the Broadway stage. So I was like, man, I didn't know that it had such a following. So uh, from a production value, I do want to say, I think it's going to get some award recognition just on like costumes um, and some of the technical awards because it's a, a beautiful looking film, I must say. Uh, so I, I think that needs to be mentioned. There's a fun cameo in there, um, paying tribute to the the original color purple. Uh, so overall, I, I I'm I'm okay on this one. I'm recommending it, but it sounds like Mark is is not on. Yeah, board. I'm. I am not. I am not. I will. I will give you. It does look good. It does look good as a very glossy adaptation of a stage musical. There's some striking. Um, lighting like the 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 um the juke joint at night mm-hmm. with all the light pouring through the moonlight pouring through the cracks in the in the walls i was that looks really good and looks fantastic with the silhouettes of the dancers there's a lot of that stuff going on but again why is that the focus of the story of a woman who's going through abuse and trying to get herself out of it and learning how to become herself it's they don't mesh well in my head and i could sure. not get over that so we like to do jaw-dropping moments, something maybe we haven't brought up, uh, and we need to mention Shug Avery, played by Taraji P. Hudson. She was also excellent. I mean, I'm, I'm talking uh, very highly of Fantasia, but if I had a, a second person that I want to highlight, uh, it has to be her. She was another maybe Academy Award, at least nomination, I think, could be coming her way. That strong of a performance. You you like that, marker? Not on, on the same um, Yeah, I liked. I I did. I liked. I liked a lot of the cast. I think Henson might be one of the weaker. She's still strong, but I'm just saying one of the weaker performances there. But that's. I mean, they're all strong across the board. But she didn't make quite as much of an impression as Brooks, Domingo, Corey Hawkins is really good as the son of um, Mister 
the, mm-hmm. the, the husband. Um, Halle Bailey. Yeah, I was going to ask about Halle Bailey. Socks off. Yeah, she's not in it that much, but she has a song in here that's, you know, it's going to get applause like her big number in Little Mermaid got. Mm-hmm. Um, what a voice. She's, she's got talent. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she does next. It was good to see her kind of carry that initial part of the movie with that big song that she has and to see that it's more than just the Disney machine pushing someone, although she was very good in Little Mermaid. But sure. it's nice to see that she does have more to her than just getting cast in the Disney movie, becoming popular from that. No, she, she's she got the range to go somewhere, I think. That's so good. It's good to see. Absolutely. For a movie poster quote, I went with, even without Oprah on screen, the color purple is still a winner. I went a solid three jaws. I'm recommending the color purple. We're on a four-jaw scale here, Mark. Where, where are you at? You you're in my wheelhouse with the with the rating scale, so that's good. Um, what poster tagline? What were they thinking? Um, and I'm giving it two stars just because. Again, from a product, you are completely right. From a production value, from a performance level, it's right on the money. Just what are you doing? Oh, get it. The color purple is playing in theaters now everywhere. Do check it out, Jawheads, and let us know what you think. Shoot us a tweet or an X. We are at CinemaJaw or our email, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. Well, we like to celebrate with Mark our favorite scenes of the year. I actually wrote down, man, I must have had about 25 originally uh, written down, and I tried to squeeze it down to five. Matt, did you have trouble narrowing it down? Uh, Yeah, I did. So I gave myself some parameters most not all most of the scenes that i chose are not from films that were on my top 10 i just wanted to highlight some other stuff that i thought was interesting this year well done i had uh much of the same thought as well so uh i i veered into it a little bit but tried to you know same get some more films talked about yeah so so why don't you get us kicked off matt what do you got at five all right at number five we, we talk about uh, superhero fatigue and this and that, but I think there is still some juice left to be squeezed out of it. And, and there was a movie that came out this year that I think is being overlooked and undervalued, and that is Shazam! Fury of the Gods. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I walked out of this movie with a great big smile on my face, and I said, I loved that. And a big part of that is the absolutely heavy metal as shit end scene where Lucy Liu is flying on a freaking dragon (laughs) into the baseball stadium. I think they're in Philly, right? I can't remember what city they're in. And they, they have a battle with, with Shazam fighting this dragon with this like magical staff that he's trying to stab the dragon. It's, it's just so metal. I was, I was like, Oh my God, this, this looks like the cover of uh, like an Iron Maiden album or something. All we need is like Eddie sitting there, like in the stands Loved that scene unapologetically. One of the coolest things I saw on the screen this year. And I, I just watched it again before this podcast to make sure it's, it's, it, it is, it is good as I remember. It's great. That's awesome. I, I, I'll be honest. I even forgot that movie came out this year. So you mentioning that is already a win. And now you talking about that scene, we were sitting next to each other. And I remember when we came out of the movie, we talked about the ending. We're like, damn, that was, that was fun. It was wild. It was good. That's Good my number stuff. five. I was like, wait a minute. 
Do the three of us actually like Shazam Fury of the Gods? I guess yes. so. I was high on it. What? Wait, what is going on here? I didn't know there were three people in the world who liked it, but apparently all three of us are in this, this Zoom meeting right now to talk about. It's, I'm, I have problems with it for sure. It's nowhere near as good as the first Shazam, which I think is great, but it has some fun moments and... I mean, I forgot about the big climax because I was more interested in the family dynamic stuff. But hey, that is definitely that's if, if it is as cool as you you know say it is, and I <laughs> watch it again, maybe I might like Shazam: Fury of the Gods a little bit more. But I'm shocked. I am shocked that we found three people who like Listen, the I didn't to get, Shazam. I, I didn't give it four stars or anything. But well, no, but I, we no, were I favorable. Didn't either, but no, but we were favorable, and everybody definitely. else trashed it. Yeah, I yeah. liked it. I had a great time. Yeah. Cool. Mark, what do you got at five? Um, Kismet, I have a superhero movie at number five, too. Nice. Um, I have, I know, I wasn't expecting this, but here we are um, from Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, sure. Moment, the moment that I realized, oh, this movie is really going to go for it in terms of adjusting the style and keeping up with the style and doing a lot of different things that are beyond what I think Into the Spider-Verse does. And that is the moment that a Renaissance supervillain shows up in the style of a Da Vinci sketch and does a battle with Spider-Gwen. I was completely on board with the film from there on, and it only became even more imaginative and dug into the lore and the aesthetic of comic books, which is, I, I, was, I really love this film. Um, and I just thinking about it more, I love it even more and more. But that was the moment beyond even like the cool, you know, Spider-Gwen world with all the watercolor and just adjusting yeah. to all that. I'm like, oh, they're doing something a little unique here. But as soon as Vulture shows up looking like a Da Vinci sketch, the movie had me hooked. And I just was like, yep, this is this is going to do something different. It's going to go beyond what the first film did. And it really did, and it continued to prove it over and over again. But that was the moment. So I call it what is it? Renaissance supervillain. I like that. Uh, <laughs> my number five. Nice. Uh, none of the scenes from that movie made my top five, but honorable mention. And I, I love the scene when uh, Gwen and Miles Morales are talking upside down. I, I remember. Yeah sending out a, a tweet right after seeing it saying, Hey, got to be considered one of the best shots of the year. Uh, you know, her hair is, is sticking straight up. Uh, just the imagery in that movie is just fantastic. I love it. Two masterpieces for Spider-Verse. So good stuff. My number five comes from a horror film. I, I break the mold here and get away from the superheroes for a moment. And I really went for this horror film, Matt, you weren't nearly as high up on it. And it's, uh, the movie, uh, talk to me. And this has yeah. the possession where the hand, uh, these kids find this hand, and when you grab hold of the hand like you're shaking hands with it and you say the words, talk to me, you become possessed. And I, I think what I liked was early on, we catch a little bit of this uh, being done in like a YouTube video that people are watching on their phone. And you, you somewhat have the idea that we're talking about possession, but you're still not 100% sure because we haven't seen the whole thing. And so my pick at number five is the first possession scene when we actually get into the room and they uh do the the whole through explain it that they can be possessed for x amount of time and then they have to you know snap them out of it i i freaked out i it's tough to do possession 
well and, and do it new and kind of fresh. But the way their eyes kind of rolled back, everything about it just scared the hell out of me. Like I really felt that the person being possessed was in grave danger. Um, it, it didn't look comfortable in any way uh, to be possessed in that room. What they were, they were, it was like a euphoria to them. They, they were using it as a, like a, a, a drug. Right. But, but it, the way the eyes would roll, the whole thing seemed cool. like, yeah, it was like, oh my God, something bad's going to happen. And eventually it does. And, and there goes the movie, you know, and don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. But man, that first possession hooked me. And I, 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 I was along for the ride the whole way. Uh, Mark, did you like this, this film in general? lukewarm on it i'm on the fence about it it does start off really strong and those possession scenes are unnerving at times um i remember there's i don't want to spoil anything either but i remember there's one that goes rather bloody by the end of it that yeah was that's shocking. honorable mentions for me yeah oh cool but go on um but yeah it, it, oh no that was, that's good i just um yeah it didn't it didn't hook me by the end there's just something off about the ending and the metaphor of grief and everything i don't think it follows through on that but it does start off really strong in those possession scenes really well in a different way um yeah so i've come around I got on to it. add to that one i mean i'll say i come i've come around on it a little bit because it couldn't i couldn't quite get it out of my head I, I agree with Mark, though. I'm, I don't think it's as strong as, as some people seem to think it is, but it's there's something there. I mean, definitely interesting. Not a bad movie by any stretch. Did you guys happen to see When Evil Lurks? Yes, a yes. Little, okay, okay, I will stop. If anybody has it on their list, you can I, stop me now. Yeah, I do not. So you, you can okay. go ahead. I, that's one that does something really neat with possession. That's all I'll say about mm -hmm. that one. If you haven't mm -hmm. seen that one yet, check it out. When Evil yeah. Lurks, it's it's on uh, Shutter, I believe, now. But that's, that, if, that's a good one. Thinking about getting a Shutter subscription, actually. Um, all right. I Does that swing it back to me? Is that it where does. we're at? Okay. Yep. So... We are into our number fours, and I am going with a film that we saw pretty recently. Um, was a screener that came May December. And oh my! This, I, I, go ahead. The scene in particular, and and I wasn't super high on this film, but it's another one that's kind of stuck in my craw, and and I can't stop thinking about it. And I think I've finally reframed it into a comedy in my brain. And when she goes into the back room of the pet shop and has a private. <laughs> oh, man private moment natalie portman um poses with her with her wrist up to her forehead and like goes through the motions of of this uh love affair this love scene that that is happening in her mind and she's she's pretending like she's alone in the scene but she's pretending she's with a lover and uh it's freaking hilarious i mean <laughs> it's so campy and over the top i thought it was brilliant on, on a second viewing i watched it again today and i'm like Natalie Portman is is acting in like three different layers here, and and that's pretty hard to do. So, hats off to her. That's that's my number four. Like I said, I I watched it a second time and I went from kind of confused on how I was supposed to feel about the movie to uh, definitely in my top twenty. Didn't quite crack my top ten, but I'm I'm a huge Same. fan of May December. So, yeah, I really like that film too. I like that scene. I like a lot of other scenes. Another scene from that. Uh, with Charles Melton up on the roof with mm. the kid. Yeah, um, that's a good that one. That made an honorable mention for me. That's a fantastic scene. And Melton in general is just, 
I, I, I had no clue who he was until I saw that, until I saw this film. He is amazing in that. Portman's amazing. Julianne Moore is amazing. The performances across the board are so great. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a funny scene. And yeah, cool. We, we may talk about it again. No. A little teaser. Okay. okay, I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't ruin no. it. With... No, Okay, good. It's there even so another scene. I know. There's even another yeah. scene in there. I want to highlight. So, all right, Mark. All right, number four is uh, from Anatomy of a Fall. Um, it is the experiment that Daniel son does to test out a theory he has about what might have happened to his father and what his father might have gone through this one i definitely i hate you know what i hate that i chose this because um <laughs> i don't want to say what happens because it is one of the most wrenching scenes in that film and that has a that is a film full of wrenching scenes um what i will say is that a lot of it is this courtroom drama you get to see how strange the French court system is. You get to see how all of that functions. You get to question whether or not this woman murdered her husband, or maybe it was just an accident, or maybe it was a death by suicide. We don't know. And then the film just kind of takes this little break, and it follows the sun. And you get to see in a very explicit and visceral in a very visceral way, how the trial and how having these questions about his parents have affected him and the way he, that he thinks about the world and what he needs to do to prove to himself what the truth is. And it is just heartbreaking to watch that unfold and to see the kid realize the consequences of what he has done and what he might have lost in the moment. Um, and um, yeah, all I'll say is best performance by a dog ever in a movie. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> So I hope if I if I've been vague enough and you have seen the film, you're like, what what is he talking about? Because courtroom drama does take up a lot of it. I hope that the idea of the dog performing in that scene gives you a clue as to what I was talking about. Nice pick. Uh, a huge fan of that movie. Definitely made my top 10. And the kid is fantastic in there as well. Yeah. The dog with the performances and that uh, Sandra Hewler. What a year. She's she's fantastic in there. So big fan definitely check that one out jawheads my number four comes from a comedy that we did review uh for the patreons on the movie roundup and that is bottoms which is a high school comedy uh girl fight club is started basically with these uh two two girls that actually want to uh hook up with two girls that they both are uh infatuated with and it, it's a very strange comedy i i really went for this thing at the end is my my pick for the scene that i want to highlight it's the ending of the movie turns into this massive fight scene out on the football field and it's so over the top and it it's it, it goes somewhere where it, it's like i can't believe this is this is what we're watching it's so damn enjoyable i know because i i sit next to mark at a lot of screenings this had to be liked by you and you had to be laughing especially at that last fight scene oh yeah I was laughing a lot during Bottoms from I'm, now I'm remembering the one gag with the football player gets kind of vaguely hit with a car and just has that over the top reaction. And I thought, OK, that's his, that's the level of parody we're talking. But you are exactly right that by that big brawl on the football field by the end, it goes in directions I did not expect it. To. <laughs> and I was I was laughing really hard watching that. 
Yeah, I I, I meant scene. to rewatch the scene uh, before we hit record on this, and I haven't didn't get around to it because uh, it was just so damn funny. I remember thinking like, everybody's got to see this, and I I hope more people get a chance to catch bottoms. Can we throw it in the fish tank? See if it's streaming anywhere there, KP. Definitely one jawheads to write down and catch bottoms it's it's a refreshing comedy much like how we felt like when super bad came out and it was like oh the the comedy's back you know it, it it has that kind of vibe to it i i felt that strong for it so nice good pick that swings it back to me i think and we're in our number threes i am going with a pick that i guess is probably not surprising but another movie that i think came a lot of people enjoyed it and then it got immediately forgotten it is dungeons and dragons Mm. and the honor among thieves and the scene in particular is the druid chase scene the the druid man i'm blanking on her name right now help me mark it's sophia lillis sophia lillis thank you uh you'll probably remember her from the it films um, she is a druid, which means she can change shape into different animals. And there's this scene that that I'm sure there's cuts, but at least for the to the to the untrained eye, it is an, a cutless scene where she's first she's a, a a squirrel or a rat, and then she's a bird, and then she's a a, a cat running through the houses in this like uh, Dungeons and Dragons city, and it's great. The camera follows her down. What a crazy chase scene! I loved it. It was just. So much fun. The whole movie is great. Picking just one scene, difficult, but I had never seen anything quite like that outside of like pure animation. So yeah, there you go. D&D. I was hoping actually that something from the Dungeons and Dragons movie made your list. I thought it might have been the fat dragon that comes out. We had a great laugh with that one with the big fat dragon that comes after him. Thumber Chowd. (laughs) Hysterical. But uh, yes, I love the druid chasing. If I had to say sort of a technical marvel with how fast changing shapes, as you say, and, and doing it in a creative way to, like you say, a cat through the house or, you know, a deer to jump over the fence and, you know, so on and so forth. It was crazy stuff going on. Yeah, it was really cool. She gets like an owl going down the chimney and yeah, lots of fun. Good pick. How did that movie get overlooked? How was it the Dungeons and Dragons label? Was that it? That people are like, oh, that's the nerd thing. Like that movie is a blast. And I don't know how it got overlooked. It's I, it still boggles my mind. I think it did a lot better once it hit streaming uh, on Paramount Plus because people were like, "Oh, I'll try that out." I was kind of skeptical about it, but man, that should have been that should have been a big hit. It's so much fun and it's so accessible. You don't need to know Dungeons and Dragons, right? I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons, but I knew exactly what was going on every moment, and it, I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, there was there was like some behind the scenes kerfuffle with the whole D&D uh, fan base, but I, I won't get into it now that that could have harmed it yeah, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Why it was I made for mass up. audiences. It was yeah. made for mass audiences. It doesn't you know, it doesn't matter but, what the niche audience of D&D players think. It's, but to your you know, point, it uh, been a hit. to your point, Mark, though, it was made for mass audiences. But then with the title Dungeons and Dragons, you know that yeah. people who don't play Dungeons and Dragons, even though. We did our job. Me and Matt talked about, hey, go see this movie. You don't have to worry about knowing the rules yeah. of the game. But I'm sure people still stayed away from it just yeah. because of the title. That's a shame. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Hopefully it did well enough to get a um, sequel. So I'd, I'd be down for another 
game. Adventure. Adventure. Thank you. <laughs> Mark, what do you got at number three? Uh, I also have a chase scene. Um, for me, it is the Rome chase in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which apparently won't have a part two, but it will have a part two, just not with the part two title. Okay. <laughs> I think this is top tier Mission Impossible. Um, what? That's where I'm at with it. I think it's I think it's one of the best in the series. And you know why? Because every single action sequence I could think of in that film could have made this list. Every one of them is a banger. The cat and mouse game in the airport is aces in terms of choreography and editing and timing and everything that goes on in it. Um, the big cha- the the train chase and fight and everything going on in the Orient like that. that was really cool. Another yeah. one, fantastic. You know what though? I'm going with the Rome car chase because I've seen so many car chases that don't do anything, that don't tell you what's going on, that don't do anything different. This one, I cannot imagine a movie popping this car chase in terms of car chase, pure car chase, in a long time. It does everything right. It does things differently. It uses comedy in fantastic ways, the way that the two, Tom Cruise and Haley Atwell, have to switch places as things are going, and that Atwell's character is not good at driving, and it incorporates her inability to drive well and on the level that she needs to for a chase into it. It, everything about that thing, everything about that sequence, it just, just wait, it woke me up and I'm like, oh, this is what you can do with a car chase. You can do something different. You can do something fun with it. You can do something people have not seen before with a car chase. There's a moment of slapstick comedy where the car rotates around and suddenly things inside the car have changed in ways. There's no logic behind it. It's just old school, like Buster Keaton gag. You would see that in, you know, a Chaplin film or something. <laughs> I loved it. I loved that, that sequence. And I think, again, I know you guys are being skeptical. I think it is one of the best in the series. And that might be the top action sequence in that film. I'm so not that's su- my number three. I'm not super skeptical on that point of view. Okay, um, good. There, there, there are hits and misses in the Mission Impossible series, and and I thought that Dead Reckoning was one of the hits. Was definitely one of the better ones. So I'm not as high up on it, and I will say, if you'll remember, Matt, this is the only movie that I've ever seen, and I'll never see one again in 4DX, where the chair uh, moves you around. Mark, have you ever experienced Did it spin this? <laughs> so. You, you can only imagine during that chase scene, I got thrown around like a rag doll. My back was hurting. I had to actually get up out of the chair at one point. It was so violent. Like, my God, I couldn't enjoy the, the, the great chase scene that Mark was highlighted as, as his third favorite scene. I was getting tossed around the theater. At but, least it wasn't smell-o-vision, you know? I did like yeah. all the sound, too, inside that scene. I remember the the uh, cobblestone that they're on at certain points. Uh, sound design, I remember actually in that scene also being quite impressive. So, and it's a, it's a Fiat, right? They're in a Fiat, like a little yeah. yellow Fiat, yep. yeah, which is ridiculous on its face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Well, my number three, I go to a franchise film also. Uh, two can play at this game, Mark. I go to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. What? Which we what? have not talked about here at the end of the year in well, any I wonder form. why. So let's highlight, and I rewatched this opening scene. It is the de-aged Indiana Jones train scene that opens up this film. And for people who loved Indiana Jones as a kid and wanted that nostalgia uh, scoop of cereal, this was it. I mean, we got this younger 
uh, Indiana Jones going on this train filled with Nazis and all hell breaks loose because Toby Jones is also on the train and we love Toby Jones. And, and at one point this, this like large gun starts firing and it gets stuck on automatic. And it just so happens as the train is turning on its track. So it starts actually just shooting all the Nazis who are trying to like climb up out of the train. Old school Indiana Jones technique here. It's over the top goofiness, um, but gave you that adventure feel. I think the movie overall is uh, a success in the sense that it was much better than than the Crystal Skull movie and was more yeah. in line with the three original Indiana Jones. And this one, this scene, opening train scene with Indiana Jones, and when we finally see the the dial of the destiny, at least half of it at that point. That's my number three. Love this scene. Have you caught up with this yet, uh, Matt? Yeah, dude, I saw it. We reviewed it. I wasn't sure if you saw this at the time or or not. I couldn't remember. I did. Um, So, man, I don't know if I can totally get behind that pick. If I'm being honest, the movie is better than Crystal Skull, but that's not saying a whole hell of a lot. (laughs) And that de-aging scene was, it's a little rough. I mean, yeah, the, the choreography is fun and it's, classic Indiana Jones adventure. But when you see his face, it's a little off-putting. And then you hear that voice come out of his mouth and they couldn't de-age his voice. I mean, come on. We got AI technology. Just de-age his damn voice. It didn't sound like Indiana Jones as I recall him. It sounded like old-ass Harrison Ford right now. It it didn't work for me. Mm. Sorry, man. Shame. It's the end of the war. He went through a lot up until that point. Sure. That that explains it. Yeah. All right. Well, that was I got my, it. I got to throw my number three. There. Yeah, it's fun sequence. It, that's like thirty minutes. That entire opening, isn't it? It is. It's a long the whole opening. DH thing. Yeah, it's long. That's part of the movie. I I like the movie in general, but that that opening thirty minutes, it does have that spirit of the old Spielberg ones it, in there. Exactly, and that that's that was what I think most everybody going to see. Dial of Destiny wanted, and they gave it to us. I thought in a pretty good supply there. See, I was I liked it almost a, a, like a hundred percent more as soon as it went to Indiana Jones as an alcoholic in his underwear, all, <laughs> living all by himself. I'm like, yeah, okay, yes, that's what I want to see. A movie, I like that too. I mean, you throw a guy who's stuck in the past and teaches history in the middle of the space race. That's a that's a good premise for a movie. I wish it had followed up a bit more on that of Indiana Jones trying to find his place as the future actually arrives in the world and nobody has any interest in history anymore. That's an interesting premise. I don't think it follows through on it, but I still like the film. It's fun. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Into our twos. We go Matt into our twos. I have a scene that I will say as a seasoned moviegoer, it is hard to shock me. And this scene shocked me, shocked me, Ryan. (laughs) I know where you're going. Do you? Well, maybe not. Are you going saltburn? Um, no, I'm not going okay, saltburn. Okay, okay. Are, are you talking about uh, Barry Koenig's <laughs> Mark, penis? Mark, Mark just spit out his drink. Um, um, <laughs> there's a couple shots. I, <laughs> I mean, they they make such a big point about how he's so well endowed, and then he does the naked dance at the end. You're like, it's average. Um, so I've seen uh, bigger. Yeah, I've seen bigger. <laughs> no, but it is a naked scene. It is. It is. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, the naked fight scene in No Hard Feelings. And if we're all sitting here being completely honest with ourselves, none of us saw this coming. It is it is the classic 
you know, she the premise of the movie for Jawheads who maybe hasn't seen it is she's uh, desperate for money, so she gets hired by parents to date uh, their their sheltered son and bring him out of his shell by any means necessary. So she takes him skinny dipping and some hooligans steal their clothes. She comes out. You think she's going to have like a, a frank discussion. Damn, hooligans. <laughs> and she beats the shit out of these people. <laughs> there is a knockdown, dragged out brawl in the sand and she's butt naked the whole time and they go for it. I mean, we're talking full frontal Jennifer Lawrence in in a fight scene. Wow. Wow. That was amazing. It is the only scene of the movie that I wanted to watch. Uh, I mean, of the year rather that I wanted to watch again immediately and not for lurid reasons. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is not hard on the eyes, but it's just so funny. It was hilarious. Great scene. Totally shocking. Caught me off guard. Definitely one I will remember. No doubt. I I, I think the, what the full Eastern promises. Sorry, the, the, yeah, Eastern Promises. Cut you off with a try to throw a joke in there. Sorry, it's okay. <laughs> I I love it. I, Eastern Promise joke in there, <laughs> only from Mark. But the the great thing here is that uh, you're right. I mean, it, it works because it's so shocking because it's Jennifer Lawrence. We think she's at a star level that wouldn't quite go for this. That's the whole uh, reason that this is is works so well. It's like no, this they're really going to go for this. It's going to be Jennifer Lawrence and beating ass and in. in in the buff all right let's let's see it and it's a good fight too it's it's like there's some there's some like wrestling moves in there she like drops an elbow on somebody it's good it's funny good stuff she did get nominated for a golden globe for best performance in a comedy which is just hilarious in its own own right i hope she wins Gold globes are still around it's still funny (laughs) all right mark you're number two um, my number two, ooh, I got a nice little pairing here of uh, scenes, I guess. My number two is uh, from the Zone of Interest, and it is a vision of the future. Uh, um, I don't want to give the specific context or what happens, because I know the film just came out like last week in New York and L.A., and it's going to be expanding over July or January. But there is a moment here where you are, after being caught up in the world of this commandant of Auschwitz, and his life outside of the camp itself and to see him go through his ordinary life where he seems to be confronted with future of what will be remembered about the camp um and it just i don't i I don't know how else to describe it it's just it just it 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 takes you out of all this horror that you've been hearing and that you know is happening and it forces you to reckon with the direct consequences of everything that you haven't seen, but you know is happening. Um, and it's really hard to talk about because it is sort of spoilerish territory. <laughs> it's not something you just want to say, like, this is what happens, and this is exactly what you see. Um, but man, it just, that entire film is so great at just what it shows and what it conceals and how it shows and why it doesn't show you certain things. And so to have that moment at that specific time in the film to just remind you like you've been following this guy but you know what's important everything else everything else is going that we were confronting right now um yeah that's that's about all i want to say about it but it is a fantastic scene in a great great film that is you know gonna be really high on my top 10 list at the end of the year sure 
caught this one uh, back at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. And I, I always say I'm so happy to see movies like this in a festival setting sometimes because uh, it's obviously very serious in nature. And I, I think being in that crowded movie theater and seeing it with hundreds of people, uh, it, it elevates sometimes the uh, emotion that you feel uh, stirring inside you. And especially in scenes like Mark's highlighting there, it's like one of those moments where I think everybody in the theater is grasping it at the same exact time. And it just really moves you even that much more. Uh, great film. Awesome. Now, now I got to follow that up and now we got to cheer, cheer up here because we're going back to May, December. I said, we would talk about this movie one more time. And maybe because I did watch it a second time, uh, I wanted to pick something from it because watching it that second time, I was just blown away by so many scenes. And there's one scene, I almost was going to put it at my number one, uh, and I call it the mirror scene, where Julianne Moore's character is bringing her daughter to get a dress. Um, and the the daughter is going in the, in the dressing room uh, and trying on dresses and then coming back out. And the scene is staged in front of one of those three panel mirrors. And the camera is looks like, anyways, to be right behind Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman's characters, and then we're seeing the reflection in the main mirror. And you can also see on one of the side panel mirrors uh, the second reflection of Natalie Portman's character, and that comes into play here because uh, this is one of the moments where Natalie Portman starts to imitate everything that Julianne Moore's character is doing. And I'm talking about all her mannerisms how her hands move, um, everything. And you can really see this as she's looking uh, at Julianne Moore. And if you're looking in the second panel, um, you can see what's going on with with uh, her her hands and the way she's like starting to contort her body to look and imitate more of Julianne Moore's character. And this is what she's there to do is, is study this person. In the meantime, the daughter's coming out and Julianne Moore's uh, talking about her arms. I mean, there's some... some Odd comedy, uh, again, with this movie where you don't know if you're supposed to laugh. It almost seems like it's insulting to a, you know, to a large degree. Um, but this is the character that Julianne Moore plays. And to do this all in the mirror without really any edit at all, fantastic acting on display. That was my highlight in May-December. Great use of mirrors in that movie, too. I agree. That is a great scene from, from a movie that is... Climbing steadily on my list. Yeah. The more you sit with it, right? Yeah. The more you sit with it. And and they, they use mirrors throughout the movie. Um, Tons. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the makeup scene. For uh, sure. The makeup scene as well. Yeah. And, and, and I think that goes back to more or less the point of, you know, that they're somewhat making. I don't want to say the whole entire thing. But again, it's sort of like... Uh, a reflection back at us. Like, why are we so taken by the story? What What is it about us that makes us so intrigued on this story of a teacher raping a, a young kid and then eventually starting a family with them? So interesting, interesting film. Yeah, what does our obsession with those stories say about us? What do we right, see in ourselves right. about those stories? Yeah, so there's no doubt that's why the, yeah, right, the, the mirrors are there. But wonderful film uh, on Netflix, too. I like that it is on Netflix for a, a small, odd movie like this. This is one where, you know, talking about the streamers, Mark, this is one where Todd Haynes, it, none of these, his movies get this much, uh, you know, buzz on quote unquote film Twitter or, you know, the discourse going on. 
that he has with May December. And I love to see it because more people have seen this movie than probably all of his other ones combined, I bet. Yeah, that's probably true. All right. We are into our number ones. Matt, I, I don't know what you could have sitting as your number one scene. Uh yeah, I actually am behind the scenes reordering my list as I go a little bit because I decided that I did want to stick 100% to films I didn't mention in my top 10. Because I, I could have gone somewhere with the with the holdovers, and I have some honorable, so we'll get to it. But uh, I decided to to surprise you, Ryan, and, and I have a Wes Anderson scene <gasps> at number one on my list. And it was the only scene that I really liked. It, listen, I like Wes Anderson less and less. And I know, Ooh. I know that is blasphemy Ooh. to some, but I think he has gotten to the point where he's so up his own ass that he cannot see the forest for the trees anymore. And it's just whimsy for the sake of whimsy. And this was the case largely with Asteroid City, which I don't think works. But the alien landing, when the alien comes down, <laughs> the best word to describe it really is droll. And that's a word that we don't use in everyday conversation, but it just fits a Wes Anderson scene like no other. It's droll. This this little stop motion creature comes out and his eyes, when he looks into the camera, the big saucer shaped eyes, um, it's freaking hilarious. I laughed out loud. I liked that scene. The rest of the movie around it, not as much. It has its moments, but uh, Asteroid City, the alien one of the more memorable like that's a that's a freeze frame from a movie that could be um the top of a top 10 list for scenes of the year and you'd know oh that's the 2023 scenes of the year it was that strong of an image i i have rewatched matt uh asteroid city just did this this last weekend and uh and i'll say this you? it did it really did i i Definitely needed a, a second spin. I even think on the third is finally when I'm going to say, oh, my God, this is a masterpiece. That's just how I am with Wes Anderson. It takes me a little while sometimes to realize that the true genius is there. It's you a lot that's deeper called, of a Ryan, film. That's called Stockholm Syndrome, okay? <laughs> I, I'm interested to hear, Mark, are, are, are you a fan of Asteroid City? I know some people love this film. I, yeah. yeah, I enjoy it. It's, it's fun. It does have um, more recent anderson vibes of trying to do a lot of things and not always accomplishing all of them but i found the entire concept of having it be a play and the movie about the making of the play and tying it all in together to be like what's the point of telling the story well maybe there is no point because life itself doesn't really have a point and so looking for the meaning of life within a play it's a lot of burden on an artist isn't it <laughs> i it's fun. It's fun on that level, and I enjoyed it. That's Jeff Bloom as the alien, isn't right. it? Does I believe he do so. the stop motion? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he takes off his helmet I at one saw... point backstage, yeah. That's right. Okay. I forgot. That's it. I don't know if he does the actual motion reference, but it does feel as if it would be him, and that adds to the comedy of that. <laughs> yeah, it's a great scene. I, I, I'm glad that came up, Matt. It's a funny one. Mark? Okay. My turn. Get to, get to lower the lower the temperature of the room again. Um, my number one scene is from Oppenheimer, and it is another scene about facing the consequences of actions that we don't see fully. And that is the big speech, specifically 
the one with the scream that silences everything and forces Robert Oppenheimer to consider exactly what the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki actually did to people. And so he is sitting there, riling up a crowd, telling them how great it is that the bomb was dropped, that we really showed the Japanese that we had superiority over them in terms of military prowess and all of that. And then you hear a scream and everything goes silent and suddenly there are lights erupting, there are ashen bodies on the ground and he is just realizing, oh, this is what I've done. This is the hell that I've unleashed upon the world. And that's the, I watched Oppenheimer again recently, just trying to get everything in my head organized about a top 10 list. That seems, it gave me chills again and it actually got me teared up because it is just the full weight of that entire process of the Trinity project, the Manhattan project and doing everything and just having it put right there in front of you without actually exploiting the, the victims of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in any way. I do appreciate the fact that the film avoids doing that because you could show footage, but the film never does it. And instead it just visualizes it for you from Oppenheimer's perspective that he knows that this is what he's done. It, it, yeah, it's a fantastic scene. I do think it's the best scene of the year easily because it just has that impact being right there in the film where you realize this is what the film is about. It's not just about the processes at work. It is that moral question. Should any of us have that level of power and be able to do that to other human beings? Um, yeah, it's a fantastic scene and a great, great film. So we're just going to roll it right into my number one, because this is where I went with a, a film that appeared on my top 10, and it's Oppenheimer also. And it, it more or less is the same scene, because I, I think the Trinity test is what I actually wrote down um, is my number one. So it's the Trinity test from Oppenheimer. I yeah. recently rewatched it. And it, it, I'm always amazed when, you know, you're watching a damn good film when everyone knows the history and how things turned out. And we know uh, the result of the Trinity test. And yet when we're watching Oppenheimer, Nolan is able to get us uh, so tense and and care and worry uh, so much about what's going to happen with this Trinity test. They're going to actually try to detonate a, a bomb in the in the New Mexico desert there. That that even watching it now a second time, I literally was like sitting straight up. I, I had to get up out of the chair a little bit and like watching it with my arms crossed, nervous as hell. And I know what's going to happen. What great filmmaking um, and that use of the the silence. I think the the moment of the year for me as far as watching movies was at that press screen at Oppenheimer. And when that bomb sequence went off and uh, because it's so far away, you don't get the, the explosion sound right away. And he, he opts to just give you Oppenheimer's like uh, breathing sound as he's like watching this explosion and that fire is going off. And I remember watching that in the theater and that theater, there wasn't an open seat in there. And it was it was so silent. Everybody was just in awe of what they were watching, so into the movie. And you just don't get those moments too often. And then, of course, that rolls literally right into then Mark's scene. That that sequence, I think, is is what separates this movie uh, from from most movies ever made. This I think is an absolute masterpiece, Oppenheimer. Yeah, dude. I mean, how do you argue against that? That was a, an amazing scene from an amazing slice of uh human history 
They did it. They did it well. They didn't know if they were going to end the world with this device, but yet they pushed the button anyway. Fantastic, fantastic filmmaking. Nolan at his best. I yeah. think it, it and, is a masterpiece. And, and I do notice the the scene that Mark's referring to also has these uh, people like pounding their uh, feet down on the uh, like bleachers of the stands. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that they're in, um, and that actually comes up a little bit earlier. In the film, you start to hear it in the uh, score of of the film. You start to hear it, and that really builds to that scene that you're referring to, Mark. Right after the Trinity test, where he has these these visions of of what what's taken place and what he's created and ultimately destroyed. My God, yeah, what what a, you just don't get films like that too often. I'm telling you, Whew. the whole movie, yeah, good stuff. So. Honorable mentions, because I had so much fun putting uh, the list together. I got a few to go over. I, I know Mark loves Poor Things, and the dance sequence in Poor Things with Mark Ruffalo and Emma Stone, I talked about it when I, when I reviewed it on the show, Matt. It, it's it's phenomenal. I love a good dance sequence, and this one is hilarious uh, and so well choreographed and and shot it's it's when the the movie for me is really singing it's it's at its top level during that moment the killer i love the opening scene of the killer and the assassination gone wrong uh his narration and listening to uh the smiths hysterical um i'm a sucker for the the big uh, maestro church scene also known as hey look bradley cooper wants an oscar so it, that scene, uh, yes, I know it's Oscar bait, but it's wonderful. And I would be remiss if I did not mention the creator has one of the better Radiohead uh, moments where everything in its right place comes on and it's during the invasion. And it, it's almost like a, a music video. And if you're a Radiohead fan like me, it, it, I was in... It, pure heaven uh watching this on IMAX with those with that song playing that's complete my jam that that's what I do after I, I have one too many I get my my radiohead vinyl out and and have my creator moment that is a great song I'll go rapid fire on my honorables um this eye from the holdover the holdovers rather um that was great <laughs> I love it <laughs> we gotta mention I'm just Ken <laughs> Holy crap. What? Oh, no. How didn't we talk about Barbie? Shame on us. I, I left it off because it was on my top 10. Um, but I'm just Ken. You should was... have included it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I'm just Ken is, is a great, great moment from film this year. Um, and then I would say uh, my last honorable is the head bashing scene and talk to me. So violent. So one of the best moments of horror um, this year. And that's with an Ari Aster movie. So, and there's a million from Bo's Afraid that I can mention, so I'm not even going to go there. There you go. Mark? Um, let's see. The the basement in Eileen, that was the moment where I knew this film had me because it goes in a completely different direction than it, it had been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the epilogue of Killers of the Flower Moon. You went easily. for that, huh? I did. That would be an easy honorable mention. I'm shocked it's actually not in the top five just because I'm it's a It's a love it or hate it thing, I think. It is. I loved it. And because it's that guy telling you what you're supposed to think from the movie, like he's earned that, uh, that placement to be able to tell us what to think of this movie. Hmm. Uh, I already mentioned up on the roof from May, December with the kid. Um, there is a single cut at the very end of a one take 
at the end of past lives that shattered my heart um where you see how these two characters it recalls how they've gone separate ways in their lives mm -hmm. it is just a single cut after this one take of characters walking up and down a street that moment just broke me mm -hmm. um and the school newspaper interview in the teacher's lounge where a group of students of a group of grade schoolers confront the teacher um, at the heart at the heart of the scandal in the school about all the things that have been going on. And it, it just makes you encouraged that maybe there are kids out there who actually care about journalism and actually would ask the hard questions of a person of authority. I it's a great scene in a really good movie that um, people will be able to see, hopefully, by the time this episode comes out. For and sure. definitely within over the course of January. One other one, Matt Damon in air with his big speech to Michael Jordan. Again, one you got to go for. Um, if, if you're a Jordan fan, people are going to absolutely love that scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those that's going to make a lot of grown men cry, uh, much like, you know, a field of dreams kind of does. I, I actually showed it to a couple of people today that hadn't seen the movie. I'm like, well, I'm doing some research for my, my favorite scenes and I, I played it on YouTube and the, the guy next to me is like, man, I, I'm choked up here watching this scene. He hadn't even seen the movie. He just saw this two minute bit of Matt Damon talking to Michael Jordan and he was like, oh my God, it's too much for me. <laughs> That's a good one. Jawheads, if we missed your favorite scene of 2023, shoot us an email, feedback at cinemajaw.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have our review of Aquaman. Plus, I'm taking Mark on in trivia. He's going down. Stick with us. Let's, let's, let's all go to the lobby. Even in a zombie apocalypse, humans are still a bunch of big softies. And... The cast of 2009's Zombieland falls victim to the human condition just as much. Here, Jesse Eisenberg and Woody Harrelson meet up with none other than Emma Stone and her little sister Abigail Breslin for the first time when the two sisters play with the boys' heartstrings and uh, make a real good first impression. Well, look, we, we don't know that there's definitely no cure, right? You're I mean, tough, I think gutless. Should... Give him the gun. Your car keys, your ammunition. And if you got it, sugar will stop. What the Sparkling drinks, sparkling drinks, and all the dandy, dandy. And we are back on Cinema Job. Matt, before we get to that Aquaman review, I know I at least threw one item into the fish tank. KP, KP, are you there? Giant glass bowl. 
Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Hello, thank you so so much. We did so in the only one we had in here this week was Ryan's. Uh, and it was is Bottoms streaming anywhere. Uh, and there's great news. Uh, it's all as usual with these kinds of ones. Like unless there's a hoopla, it's great news or bad news. Um, and it's that it is streaming. And if you have MGM Plus, it's on there. I don't know anybody personally who has MGM Plus. I didn't even know uh, there was a for, thing called I didn't MGM either. Plus. <laughs> oh, there is. <laughs> I got Paramount Just, Plus. I don't have it. I don't have it either. Can we chill out with the pluses, by the way? Like, it is the it is the laziest, easiest streaming platform. Like, I would rather they just added Tube at the end of it. I would rather <laughs> MGM Tube, which is arguably, like, one brain cell's worth of effort more. Just stop with stop with the dip dang plus this. That's besides the point because it's also on Fubo. Is the other thing I, I I do I don't know anybody personally, but I at least know more people have that than MGM Plus. Right, and that's Fubo doesn't one. have a, yeah. a plus after it. It's not Fubo Plus. No, I mean maybe there is like a Fubo Plus that like right plus should be like i should get something extra you get nothing extra with disney plus you get nothing you just get the service right no plus there's no standard unreal that was everything that's all we got unless you have something else you want to throw in at me to get angry about that is we could it. do a minus <laughs> jump back in that fish tank kp will do Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, Ryan. It's been a lifetime since 2018's Aquaman. So much has happened since the surprise hit in the otherwise lackluster DCEU. So freaking much. The Snyder Cut, Ezra Miller's Disgrace, Dune, COVID-19, the collapse of the DCEU, Wonder Woman 1984, Amber Heard's very public trial with Johnny Depp. I could go on and on. The one seemingly steady thing is that Jason Momoa in the role of Aquaman has remained a bankable proposition. Oddly, it's perhaps become even more bankable as the supporting cast, with the exception of Heard, have seen their stars rise quite a bit, like uh, Mr. Morrison. Here we are in 2023 in a post-superhero box office world, and Aquaman is diving back in, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Four years ago, I was basically unemployed. A wanderer with no home. But now, I'm a husband and a father. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know how you did it, Pops. My job was a little less stressful than yours. Oh, yeah. I finally got a job. I'm the king of Atlantis. So here's the MacGuffin sauce. After failing to defeat Aquaman the first time, Black Manta wields the power of the mythic Black Trident to unleash an ancient and malevolent force. Hoping to end his reign of terror, Aquaman forges an unlikely alliance with the villain from the last movie, Patrick Wilson, his brother Orm, the former king of Atlantis, blah, blah, blah. They set aside their differences, join forces to protect the kingdom and save the world from irreversible destruction. 
And man, let me tell you guys straight off the bat, this thing plays out like a bad episode of Captain Planet. Not even a good episode of Captain Planet, a bad episode of Captain Planet. I get that this iteration of if Aquaman is here's another gripe. He's supposed to be like a down to earth regular guy who just happens to be a god. But man, oh man, the broness of this. This movie made me feel like I had just played a round of darts and ping pong after drinking a Guinness out of a funnel. And that can be fun, but this was too brodacious even for me. Aquaman is an idiot. He's a big, dumb spring break moron. The rest of the cast is similarly handled, and they have a steaming pile of a script with each situation more stupid and CG'd than the next. If I had to pick a highlight, it would be Patrick Wilson, whose character has some of the better moments in both terms. He can terms. do no wrong. <laughs> he's, he's got some of the better moments in both terms of action, story, and comedy. But sadly, it doesn't add up. It doesn't even come close. The plot is paper. The villain is rehashed. The comic relief is ham-fisted. And the CG is just terrible. This movie sucks. So I'm about to shock the world here. I'm recommending uh, Aquaman. I really love this thing. I liked it a lot, actually. Wow. <laughs> and, and let me tell you why, because it, it may be come off as a head-scratcher here. Um, I, I like the fact that I knew that the DCEU was was ending. I like that I didn't have to worry about that this was going to connect into anything. Uh, just go in and just have fun. And I feel that's what James Wan ultimately uh, went for it like hey let's just throw everything who cares how wild and stupid it really is and I know I know I'm gonna catch flack from people who are comic fans I'm not we're talking about a guy who's talking to fish it's it's supposed to be kind of stupid in in a way I know Matt you're gonna say oh he's a tactician he's a, he's supposed to this character's no, smart no. or some crap Aquaman Ooh. is the butt of all the jokes in the okay so, yeah so we're talking about a guy that talks to fishes and stuff. It's a, it's it's ridiculous already. Just a premise. Go ahead and have fun with it. I, in two weeks, if you ask me, hey, what's the plot of Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom? I couldn't even tell you. I'm sure I'm going to forget about the plot, and that's not reason why I, I ended up liking it. I felt this was like an amusement park ride. I thought the 3D was actually really fun. The underwater uh, creatures were bizarre. Uh, at one point, there's like singing fish. There's like a band playing underwater. Just the most no, bizarre No, that was the Little crap. Mermaid, dude. You're mixing it up. There, there was music under the water, I'm telling you. And uh, Patrick Wilson, I, I love this guy. He, 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 for some reason, is taking this very seriously, and I, I, I like it even more that he is. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed Aquaman, believe it or not. Mark? No. <laughs> it's not good. What? Where's the, where's the fun? I mean... I want it to be stupid, but I also want it to be fun and silly. This movie takes itself so seriously, and it feels as if it is cut out a whole bunch of things. Main characters, like Herd's character, who is Aquaman's wife and the mother of his child, and his mother, played by Nicole Kidman, feel like glorified cameos who show up in like three scenes apiece, maybe. Herd is just standing there reacting to things going on. That's it. That's all they could afford to put her into the screenplay for, apparently. Um, yeah, Wilson is having fun. There are a couple of good moments with him, but I mean, it's... It, it, I, I don't know what they're doing anymore, and I'm kind of glad the DCEU is finished. 
And I have a feeling a lot of the reason that this movie does feel so shortened and so hasty is that they probably cut out a lot of stuff that they didn't want to have to deal with people having questions about later, perhaps, because it just it's just jumping all over the place in terms of the plot. It could have had some fun. It's set up. The title is set up like one of those old serials, like what superheroes used to be like Batman and Superman started in old serials or is like, you know, a multi-part shorts across you know a couple of weekends that people would be able to tell the story the story of superman you get that sense with and the lost kingdom that's going to have some adventure and some fun to it it doesn't Mm, it's just them wandering around for something i couldn't even tell you what they're supposed to be looking for i've already forgotten what orm (laughs) and aquaman are supposed to be looking for except a very obvious uh, climate change metaphor, which doesn't work um, because <laughs> climate change is real. It's a real problem in the world. We don't need a comic book movie to tell us that some ancient evil is the one creating it. That, I think that goes against the entire idea of what it's trying to say. Um, yeah, you know, I just I really didn't like it. And I didn't like the first Aquaman. So, I mean, I'm kind of not in its boat to begin with, but I think this is even worse because it oh, is so oh, it's generic worse. by the end. So, it's so generic. It's not doing any of the silly stuff in the background even anymore. Uh, I liked Black Manta came back. I know this seems like it's a weak uh, component here. Great character. Glad to see Black Manta back. And I like this whole, uh, what was it called? The Black Trident? Dark Trident? It was cool. Everybody would get the, the power. and They would it, sort Ryan? of see, see this <laughs> kingdom. <laughs> And you know how I love underwater kingdoms, Matt. This is one of my favorite things. I didn't I know. Love underwater kingdoms. Love. Wait, hang on. Hang I, on. I want to delve into that. <laughs> so I, I talked about when we saw the, the Little Mermaid, how much I like the shipwreck underneath the water. Uh, I remember commenting on that. And I knew right away, like, man, I'm going to like this. Because we got this like forgotten city under the water. I liked them trying to like open up the vault. I forget what they were trying to o- get inside the vault. As we said, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's forgot. <laughs> yeah, I forget. I'm not going to say it's going to stick with me. But I remember liking the premise of being underwater and they got to open up this old vault and the cities down there. All that was pretty cool, you know. And then the guy at the end on the, on the throne. That was all pretty neat. I, I again, it felt like a, a a big ride that I had fun with. Were you were you on something seriously? Of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> all right, so so that explains it, folks. I mean, yeah, if you're it, high, it an, it's you an might Aquaman like this movie. movie in 3D. You, you gotta be on something to enjoy it. I, I did. Now, why was it in 3D? By the way, I thought we were done with 3D like 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, that caught me off guard. 15 years ago. It must have caught the the promotions company off guard too because they didn't give any of us 3D glasses. And when the movie started, I was like, oh crap. And I had to run back down to the lobby to get my glasses. <laughs> and I saw about 15 other critics running behind me. Oh my goodness. I, I, oh, man, I think that's what, crazy. I think what happened, Mark, is uh, Avatar. Because Avatar, The Way of Water, obviously big scenes underwater that were 3D. Here they're making Aquaman, a lot of underwater scenes. Hey, let's turn this in, you know, try to get a little cash grab and do the 3D again. Somebody might have had an edible beforehand. It'll just be <laughs> so much better. Yeah, well, they, they, they must have been high me. when they wrote this thing. <laughs> Jaw-dropping moment. I got to highlight this one. This was a great chase scene. You know, uh, it might not have Tom Cruise in a Fiat, but this particular chase scene had all these like little creatures uh, chasing after the two brothers. 
and they go past these basically uh, praying mantis, not praying mantis. Uh, what are those uh, Venus flytrap oh, uh, yeah. kind of plants? But this is underwater, and these giant... no, they were in a jungle at that. In oh, that they were scene. in a jungle yeah. at that they point. They weren't water. underwater. Yeah, there was no water involved. <laughs> And these plants are are going out and they're eating all these uh, creatures behind them. Again, at that point, the 3D for me, it was working. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. So, <laughs> I'm so disappointed in you. It's ridiculous. Hey, I, I, I had fun. I, I actually wrote down my jaw-dropping moment is just how terrible the movie is. But if I had to choose one, like earnestly, I would say that the, the robot, the Octobot, fight scene with Orm with with um, Patrick Wilson's character actually like for a moment the movie felt like it 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 had a gear to kick into um that was a thrilling sequence that's it i mean and that's that is a real stretch one one other highlight because this might be mark might, might want to like you know dive deeper on this one as well there there's a character in here their sidekick is an octopus that was cool that was awesome. I love that. Their, I wrote their that sidekick down too. was an octopus was so cool. I, I I don't know what you guys missed on this one. Mark? Best best octopus not played by uh Ed Harris. What no, it, what, what's his name from uh Married with Children? Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill. Yeah. But this is the best octopus movie since my octopus teacher. I'm gonna say it's not the best eight legged creature in a movie this week. Um, because Jenna Malone plays a giant spider in, um, in Rebel Mood. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, okay. Can I? I, I, I also didn't hate. Dropping. I also didn't hate Rebel Moon that much. So, <laughs> oh my god, how long did this edible last? He's still high. That movie's like five hours. Jeez. <laughs> Um, my jaw-dropping moment, I just want to throw this out as a gag, which is that even with the last DCEU movie, they're still chasing Marvel because there is a direct reference to the MCU in this, where Aquaman refers to Orm as Loki. You guys can stop now. You're done. You don't need to chase Marvel anymore. Go do your own thing. You don't need to come up with your own Avengers after like three movies. It's okay, guys. Let it go. You, you you lost. You can start over again. It's okay. <laughs> Indeed. Movie poster quote, Matt. Go to the community pool instead. I went with. Damn it! <laughs> I went with take the plunge and enjoy the silliness. Ugh, Ryan... I was going to make a joke about the public pool, right? And he was into underwater kingdoms. So like, you know there are public pools, right? You're gonna, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Oh, Ryan, yeah. how far you have fallen. I mean, this is a guy who, who banned Marvel films, refused to see the first Ant-Man. He's like, Ant-Man, that's silly. Here's a guy talking to fish. This movie is crap. I'm giving it 1.5 Jaws, and I feel like I'm being generous. Mark? One and a half for me, too, and I also feel quite generous about that. So you can take Matt's one and a half, and you can take Mark's one and a half. You can add them up together, and you get Ride the Movie Guys three jaws for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. You are literally Ooh. high. You're literally and then high. You divide it. And then you divide it by the other two critics on the show, and you get one and a half, and there we go. Boom. Yep. All right. It, Jawheads, if you go see this one, do take something beforehand. You will enjoy it. <laughs> uh, and then write us an email, feedback at cinemajaw.com. 
There you go. That's our Aquaman take. Uh, usually at this point, I pull out my trivia questions, but I guess I'm a contestant this week. You're a contestant this week. Uh, I have the questions, and there are steals. Mark, you've been on the show. You know how this works. Uh, if you don't know the <laughs> yeah. question, the other guy gets a chance at it. Uh, you're the guest, so you get to decide if you'd like to go first or defer. I'm going to Belichick this. Defer. Oof. You're going to defer. All right. Mm. Ryan, we start with you. Uh, John Waters recently agreed with Matt Kay that Bo's Afraid is the best movie of 2023. Oh, and I should mention again, we're playing 2023 movie trivia. So these are loosely associated with 2023. Aside from Hairspray and Serial Mom, he's directed about a dozen films. Name three. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I know I'm not going to get three. I'd be impressed if you can get one. I agree. I'd like to see Mark get three. This is right. definitely a Mark's, Max K question. Mark's counting on his on his fingers here, so I think he might have you here. But but he only had one um, finger up. He had one thumb. That I was nail, but he's got a up. shit-eating grin. <laughs> one finger up. And wait, what was the two you said? You said hairspray and cereal mom. Right? I did. I, I took those two off the table because I thought it would be too okay. easy. Really wish you hadn't taken cereal mom off. That feels uh, a, good a little one. too. Yeah, I know. That's a culty one. I thought all of them are culty ones. Okay. Pink flamingos. Bing. Um, oh, what's the name of that one? Oh, no, 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 no. Hang on. I can do this. I can do this. I can't do this. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. Oh, what is it? It's it's like a it's a name, an initial, and an adjective. Yeah, mm -hmm. I give up. I nice. Just... Oh wow, you guys. Um, I think the one you were thinking of right there, Mark, is Cecil B. Demented. That's it. Damn it. Uh, okay. We we also would have taken Crybaby with Johnny Depp. Um, oh, Pecker with um your boy uh, Ryan. Yep. What's his um, name? Uh, Edward Furlong. Furlong. Yep. Yep. Uh, he also did. Polyester, and then going back to the early days, Desperate Living, Pink Flamingos, uh, Female Trouble, to name a few. That's tough, tough number. Tough first question. Tough Let me number tell you. one. I thought, it was, I thought it was easy. That kicks it over to Mark for question number two. In the movie Drive, Mark, Ryan Gosling's character wears a satin jacket that is emblazoned on the back with which animal? A scorpion? a tiger, or a winged snake? Ooh, I'm glad you made a multiple choice because I was about to give the wrong answer. It's a scorpion. Ding. It is a scorpion. Wow. I thought it was a tiger. And so when you said tiger among those multiple choice after saying scorpion, I'm like, oh, I misremembered that. Uh, Ryan Gosling, that ties in because of Ken, obviously, mm, in the sure. Barbie movie. Um, all right. It is one to nothing, Ryan. Let's see if you can catch up here. Question number three is over to you. In Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, we are introduced to even more Spider-People. Aside from the first movie gang, Peter, Miles, Spider-Man Noir, Spider-Ham, Penny, and Spider-Gwen, can you name two Spider-People from the film? We'll accept the name, their Spider-Code names or their character names. From the new one. From the new one. Gotcha. Um... 
Oh boy, there is uh, the main spider guy that turns into the villain. But what is his name? Um, something like uh, oh shit, man. Um, On your top ten list of one I of the know. best movies of the year. I know. Can you remember the villain? Oh man, I don't know his name. I, I want to call him like uh, something Spider-Man Amigo or something. Um, Spider-Man s- Amigo, something close to that. That's like the Nintendo things that you scan on your controller. To... <laughs> um, man. Oh, then you got okay. How about the uh, pregnant uh, Spider Woman? Can uh, I go with her? All right, I'll give it to you. Yes, that, that, is, uh, that is Jessica one. Drew, Spider-Woman. Yes, there we go. There's one. And then we will go with, uh, oh, my God, that guy's name. It's going to absolutely kill me, the, the main <laughs> villain, the, the guy that, uh, but I don't know. I don't know his name for sure. It's something like, uh, I don't know. Uh, Mark, wow. Mark, what was I that? Mean, you could have also said Spider Punk. I'm shocked you didn't. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can I get. Sorry. I was going to say Spider Punk. I knew you were. Come on. That's an easy one. You got another okay. one, Mark? Spider Man 2099. Oh. Give it to him. <laughs> I know he has an actual name, but that's what, what the influence is. His, his, uh, his actual name is Miguel O'Hara. O'Hara, yes. That's who I was trying to think of, and then I could not think of anything else after not getting that apologies for Miguel jumping the gun O'Hara. there on you mark yeah that's okay two to nothing mark all right uh and this one is two to nothing over to mark i'm not used to being the host here so do you yeah. ryan do you do you like make tally marks or how do you keep up with the score just in your head huh yeah not anymore yeah. fingers <laughs> all right mark Aside from Megan, there was one other horror movie in 2023 about robotic playthings coming to life to murder people. Name it. I'm not talking about the creator, I'm assuming. Because those are not technically playthings. Um, oh, jeez. Robotic playthings. Why is this so... D- oh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Bing. Hmm. Three to nothing, I believe the score is. It is. And that brings us back to Ryan. All right, Ryan, I think you can get this one. In the original... Actually, this one's hard as shit. In the original 1954 Japanese film Godzilla, what real-life event partially inspired the creation of the iconic monster? So I can just go... This is some deep inside baseball, right? Let's see if you know this. So I could just go with the, uh, the atomic hard? bomb on this one? If you think that's the answer. That's, that's what I'd go with. <laughs> Mark Dusick, do you know the answer to this question? Is it, is it okay if I don't remember the name, the specific name of the fishing vessel that was affected by the nuclear test that, um, knew, that created radiation poisoning and a bunch of fishermen off the coast of Japan? Is that okay if I don't know the name of the ship? I would say yes, because that's that's okay, correct. Cool. Give Sweet. Him a, give him a bell. I mean, this is some really esoteric stuff. The, it was the Lucky Dragon 5 incident, which is a, dra- a Japanese fishing boat uh, was exposed to fallout after a United States hydrogen bomb test at the Bikini Atoll in 1954. I love the original Godzilla. 
I love it so much. Um, what's the score now? Four to nothing. Four to nothing. It's a total blowout at this it point. It is. It is. This this question is over to Mark. Mark, in Mutant Mayhem, the TMNT movie we got this year, we got an amazing score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. The duo have done many scores. Can you name three other films? Yes, and I don't want to give away too much. Oh, no, wait, hang on a second. I don't want to name them immediately because then I give Rye two right off the bat. I know. This is what I always do in trivia. Um, Hang on. I know there's a weird one that I can't think of. Oh, no, this isn't fair because I can name two. Oh, okay. Uh, Girl the Dragon Tattoo, Soul, The Social Network. Boom. Nails it. Ryan, you want to save face and name one more? Oh, man. I, what's funny is I, I started to name one. And I was going with Johnny Greenwood scores because I was going to go with that. That's uh, what I, I was going to say. Uh, there will be blood. Yeah, I, I was going to go with uh, what was that one where he goes to get the girl who was kidnapped? But that's Johnny Greenwood uh, where uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, what I, is that called? I don't know what you're um, talking about. You love that movie. I know Matt. it's, uh, it's so called, like, good. Um I'm oh, way out on you a were never here. really here. Oh, yeah. Was that him? But I don't the, know. But that was actually Greenwood and, and not them. Right. So give me he, another one. What he else did, did they do? He did um, Empire of Light, Bones and All, Before the Flood, hmm. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Mid-90s, Mank. Um, Mank, huh? TMNT, Soul, and Social Network. Yeah, uh, among others. But those are the, those are the big heavy hitters. I saw that Soul was going to get re-released in the theaters, or I should say released in theaters because it came out during the pandemic. I was actually thinking of going to the theater to, to see it. Yeah, I saw that too, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah they're doing that, Turning Red, and Luca um, over the course of like three months, I think. Hmm. Yep. Okay, so the the score is still, is it five to nothing five now? Five to nothing now at this point. It's a complete and utter blowout. Um Ryan, let's see if you can at least get on the board here. I believe you get I, the next. No, you. Just, I believe it's to Mark. You, yeah, yeah. It's oh to no, Mark. no, it is to oh, me because that was that was yeah. straight up to Mark. Okay, that was straight up yeah. to Mark. All right, Ryan. Before winning the Academy Award for Best Actor in his role in in the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix was nominated for the same award three times. Can you name at least two movies for which he received the previous nominations? All right, we're gonna go with. Gladiator. Ding. And we will go with Joaquin Phoenix in... Hmm. He had three other nominations besides Joker? Is that what you said? Uh, Yeah. And I got to name two of them. God, I didn't know he had that many. Yeah, you know um, what? I'm, as, as I'm, I, I think Joker is counted in those three. So there's there's three total. Okay, so there's only only two two, two, two other others nominations. Can you, can you name them? Okay, so one of them was Gladiator. You, you got that one. Yep. Um, I'll give you a little hint. Want to get get you on the on the um, on the board here? Um, came out five years later, after Gladiator. Boy, that's some hint. All right, so. Uh, 
We're, we're in the early 2000s, I believe, then at that point. Uh, that was right around 2000. So 2005 uh, would have been... What was Joaquin Phoenix doing in 2005? Uh, I know it wasn't Ladder 49. Um, He's wearing black. Ah, walk the line. Thank you. All right. That was too good a hint. I was actually trying to think of a, a hint that doesn't just give it away, you know? Sure. All right, Ryan, you're on the board. This next question is over to Mark, and it is the last question, which I, I believe makes you the winner, but just add insult to injury here. Ridley Scott was back at it this year with Napoleon, but in his film The Martian, which actor played the role of NASA's director of the Mars missions, Teddy Sanders? <laughs> Ooh. Does this have any 2023 connections specifically or not? Well, just because Ridley Scott had Ridley a movie Scott. this year. Oh no, I'm I'm sorry. The actor, the actor. Does the actor have a 2023 connection? Like specifically that would come not to mind? Me. No. Okay. All right. Nothing okay. springs to my mind immediately. Okay. The director of it. This kind of cast is so loaded. Um. There are so many people. There are so many people, and I am going to throw out the name Chiwetel Ejiofor. <laughs> no, okay. Sorry, He's that's in wrong. that, though, right? <laughs> I, I think so. He is. All I right. Let's, okay. let's, see if, let's see if Ryan can. Oh, now I know who one. it is. Crap. Man, I mean, uh, I, I think I'm completely wrong here. I don't even remember this guy being in it, but is it Alan Arkin? No. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's it's Jeff Daniels, He's, isn't it? It is Jeff Daniels, yes. Uh, mm. <laughs> Daniels. Well done, well done. It did not come down to a tie. This was a decisive victory for Mark. Virtual handshake, you guys. Well, well done. But if it did come down to a tie, we do a jawbreaker. And the jawbreaker this week is, how old is Barbie? Closest to wins. And I am talking about the toy from Mattel. How old is is barbie ryan since you lost we'll let you uh guess first what do you think all right um so he's doing the mental gymnastics right now you could see uh, the steam coming out of his ears i'll you say know, you know that meme where all the math floats at the camera coming out of somebody's head that's, sure. that's exactly what's going on yeah a lot of wheels turning and they're moving slow now I'm thinking, like, why did I take edibles for both uh, <laughs> Aquaman and Rebel Moon? Damn, it was a rough week. Um, I'm going to go with uh, 68 years old. 68. We lock Ryan oh. in at that guess. 68. Don't tell me you were going to say that, Mark. I was literally going to say 68 because my actual math, and which is what I'm going to say, is 69, but I didn't want to say the number <laughs> just because. So I was going to take a year off. So I'm going to go with 69. 69? We'll give that one to Rye the Movie Guy. Nice. She is 64 years old. The toy originally came out in 1959. Well, I, I, my math, the way I went about it, is it's based on uh, the lady in the movie that Margot Robbie sees when she turns on the bench, which is another wonderful scene where she says, you're beautiful. And she's like, I know it. And then I started thinking, all right, well, did, somewhere around here, she looked like she was around, you know. Yeah, she was waitressing in Cheers in 1985. Yeah, so, I'm like, yeah. all right, trying to figure it all out. And I was like, all right, it's got to be around 65 to 70 years old. So. Yeah, right right before the 60s. So, yeah, 1959. 
Good, good job, you guys. Good stuff. It was fun hosting trivia. I'll I'll tell you, your questions are a lot harder than, you know, I always start them off with super easy so everybody's comfortable. Where the hell are we on question one? Holy crap. It's different tastes. I I felt mats were actually pretty easy, Mm. but Matt and I in many ways have like the same brain. Mm. So yeah, that John Waters one. Unfortunate. Yeah. You need to watch some of those. I am. We glossed over my shit eating grin bit for the John Waters and that's fine. I'm not even angry. I love John Waters. (laughs) <laughs> brings us to the end of a great job first and foremost got to thank our guest mark thanks for coming on the jaw thanks for having me again it's always fun we also got to thank kp editor producer yes of course uh always happy to and okay can we spoil some i know this is our last of 2023 one great 2023 all three of you i love you all uh can we give the jawheads a little exciting bit for 2024 something to look forward to and it said on february 24th at reggie's there's another pancakes and booze uh so we'll do uh february 24th do explain what that is oh right 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 there's probably it's the art show uh that i always do um it's a great time it is it's always so much fun pancakes and booze and it's not just me yeah there's free food and alcohol and art the art is not free but the food and alcohol well the alcohol is not either the food is <laughs> the pancakes are actually free. you gotta pay for everything but it's a hell of a good time <laughs> but there's a cover charge but uh, anyways i went out to it last time kp was showcasing art and it was phenomenal so four jaws from ride the movie guy i'm gonna try to make it to this one because i missed the last one and there's only one last time there was two days there's only one for this one okay well we'll talk after the show and we'll get it on the calendar Uh, absolutely i I also want to mention our next show will not be until we're recording it on the 11th unless i'm mistaken so it'll come out uh right around martin luther king day and it should be another wrap-up with katie glidewell talking about the best female performances i think that's what we're doing next yes sounds pretty good we should thank the Patreons too, Ryan. Absolutely. Thanks to the Patreons. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, if you want to join us over there, go over to patreon.com slash cinemajaw. We're doing uh, hosts of extra things, such as the Movie Roundup podcast, where we get to some reviews that we can't get to on the main podcast here. So thank you for the Patreons that support us already, and thank you to the future Patreons that will jump over there and support us uh, in the near future. Thanks to everybody. Absolutely. If you can't support us that way, do rate us anywhere you're listening to this podcast. Give us uh, a star rating. Leave us a review. Those things do help attract new listeners. Until next week, I'm Ry the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And And keep keep on John about the movies. movies.